Welcome to The Motivated Mind, where I challenge you to expand your perspective on how to achieve a successful life through motivational lessons, reflections, and interviews with other motivated minds. Welcome back to The Motivated Mind, a top 100 health podcast, thanks to each of you. This is episode 336, and I'm your host, Scott Lynch. Thanks so much for listening. If I've brought you any value, please be sure to leave a review and hit that subscribe or follow button. Don't be a stranger. Shoot me a DM on Instagram or Facebook and let me know what you want to hear more of. And please be sure to share the podcast. As you all know by now, between my newsletter and this podcast, my goal continues to be to provide you all with the tools and support to unlock your internal motivation, to achieve your goals, and ultimate happiness. That's why I'm excited to announce that I am now offering free digital assets from my UHub, a framework that will allow you to unlock your full potential and greatness by providing you with the clarity you deserve in order to see your self-worth. This hub consists of 12 critical spokes that we need to identify about ourselves because identifying these will provide you with clarity to unlock your full potential and greatness. Two, the growth mindset worksheet, which challenges you to find patterns of thinking that invoke a fixed mindset and guide you to shift to a growth mindset. Download these free printable exercises on my website by clicking the link in the show notes. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for podcasters, I feel like it's allowed me to be more creative because I've been able to simplify the admin aspect of my podcast and focus on developing more valuable and creative content. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. By the time I'm finished saying this sentence, there will have been 300,000 Google searches. That's a lot of people searching who would win a fight between a taco and a grilled cheese. Yeah, thanks Google autocomplete. In all seriousness, Google's data centers use roughly 15.5 terawatt hours of electricity a year. And let's put that into perspective because who the hell knows what a terawatt is? That's the same energy consumption as Paraguay. It's the same as New York City, San Francisco, and Chicago combined. 
When we deal with that much information, we need a lot of processing power. Now, it's not just Google that needs a lot of processing power. Each of us requires similar power needs. According to one study from the University of California, the average American consumes 100,000 words from TV, radio, newspapers, music, conversation, and so on every day. To put that into perspective, that's 34 gigabytes of information, which is about the same as watching the Lord of the Rings trilogy 10 times back to back every day. Yeah, that's a lot of information, a lot of information bombarding us, which means it's hard to keep up. And as a result of this continual flood of information, our attention, focus, and problem-solving ability slow down under the labor of having too much to do. It's like trying to run a Google search on your grandfather's Apple Computer 1. In other words, it's not that efficient or fast. And it's this that ultimately impairs functionality. And this is exactly what the noise bottleneck theory argues. It's the paradoxal observation that the more we try to process, the less we actually can. All right, history lesson time. At the start of the 19th century, roughly half of the British population couldn't read. This meant that the news and information people mostly received came through chatter and hearsay. There were actually individuals called a town crier or a bellman, and their job was to make public announcements in the street. Yeah, apparently screaming in public was not frowned upon in the 19th century. These individuals would shout various headlines, and sometimes you could pay to sit and listen to someone read the newspaper. Fast forward in the 20th century, when the vast majority of the developed world could read, people were still getting their news from one or a few sources. Most people would purchase a certain newspaper or watch a particular news channel that they liked or preferred. Now, fast forward to today, things have changed a little. No, not really. They've changed drastically. Newspapers are increasingly unpopular and unsuccessful. Likewise, cable news channels are all finding it hard to keep their ratings, losing around a third of their viewers between 2020 and 2021. Okay, so if this is the case, what's replaced the newspapers and cable news? The device you are most likely listening to this podcast on. The device we carry around with us almost everywhere we go. The device that 6.92 billion people own, 86.29% of the global population, a always in your pocket 24-7 news cycle. When we open Twitter, or X I guess it's called now, we may, for a brief moment, see the old news. But in the blink of an eye, the subtle swipe of our finger, our timeline, is refreshed. And the history of the breaking news from an hour ago is swept away and replaced with the next breaking news or tweet of the minute. Every second, we are presented with new information from another expert or influencer. Every day, we have at least five essential articles to read. Every day, we are bombarded with negativity 
Headlines filled with things like anger, disgust, fear, and sadness all are increasing. It's relentless and a never-ending cycle. And the things on the decline are headlines with things like joy and neutrality. Negativity is driving consumption. And that's because negative words increase the click-through rate by 2.3%. And news headlines containing positive language are significantly less likely to be clicked on. The noise of negativity and oftentimes useless information is clogging our world and our minds. So how does this connect back to the noise bottleneck? Nassam Nicholas Tlaib introduced the world to the phrase noise bottleneck in his book, Anti-Fragile. And his explanation is quite simple. A noise bottleneck is where we are overwhelmed with so much information or noise that our cognitive abilities can't keep up. Our brains have limited resources spread across numerous functions. So, while our brain can read five articles a day, and while our attention can watch four hours of TED Talks, our long-term learning processes can't. We simply don't retain the information we read, or we zone out for five minutes into a video or a podcast. Yeah, you know who you are. I'm calling you out, so listen up. On top of this, things are even made worse by our modern addiction to multitasking. We are all guilty of it at some point, flipping between multiple tabs, watching TV holding our phone, listening to a podcast at double speed while shopping. The idea of multitasking is nothing more than a damn myth. In fact, the cognitive scientist Harold Parshler showed that there is extensive evidence for a central bottleneck in dual task performance. While research by Eric Ruthruff, Roger W. Remington, and James C. Johnston suggests that the human brain might have structural limitation inherent in the cognitive architecture, which causes the slowing down that occurs when two tasks are performed at the same time. In other words, our brains are remarkable, but they come with their limitations. They are not Google data centers. They can only take in so much data and process so much data. So the million dollar question is, how do we beat the bottleneck? How do we sort what matters from what doesn't? Well, our good friend Richard Feynman, a Nobel Prize winning theoretical physicist known for his contributions to the development of quantum electrodynamics, has a solution. Back in January, I released an episode about the Feynman technique, a simple yet effective way to learn anything faster. Well, it turns out that Richard Feynman also thought about this problem of deciphering what matters and what doesn't matter. And he created a series of tricks that he used repeatedly. In a series of non-technical lectures in 1963, memorialized in a short book called The Meaning of It All, Thoughts of a Citizen Scientist, Feynman talks through basic reasoning and some of the problems of his day. His method of evaluating information is yet another tool we can leverage. Now, 
Within this short book is a useful section called This Unscientific Age. This is where Feynman takes the method of thought he learned in pure science and applied it to the more mundane topics most of us have to deal with daily. So, how does this concept break down? Number one, decide whether someone truly knows their stuff. When we want to find out if someone is honest and knowledgeable about a subject, we can ask them intelligent questions. Mind-blowing concept, right? Well, let's dive deeper. These questions should be honest, direct, and relevant to the topic. If the person is honest, they will admit when they don't know the answer. For example, Imagine two politicians running for president. One of them is quick to give answers to questions about a farming problem. The other politician is more honest and says they don't know much about farming, but understands it's a difficult issue that needs careful consideration. They plan to gather experts, look at past experiences, and take their time to come up with a reasonable solution. While they can't give a definitive answer right away, they promise to use good principles to handle the problem. The second politician's approach is more honest and thoughtful, even if it doesn't give a quick answer. This shows that being honest and considering different perspectives can be better in many aspects of life. If you learned something via the fame and technique that I broke down on episode 277, and you've applied that to your learning process, then you'll be able to answer questions on a particular subject. You'll be able to make educated analogies, extrapolate the principles to other situations, and easily admit what you do not know. You'll be able to easily switch between a macro and micro level of the topic. Number two, get as close to the truth as you can with the information available. Very few ideas in life are absolutely true. We should ask ourselves, how does something move from being almost certainly false to being almost certainly true? How does experience change? How do we handle the changes of our certainty with experience? Imagine we have two theories, theory A and theory B, about something that will happen. Before we see anything, we feel more certain that theory A is true. But then we do a test and it turns out to be a greenish color. Now, theory A seems less likely and theory B seems stronger because it said it should turn blue. If we keep doing more tests, and find other things that support theory B over theory A, then theory B becomes more likely to be true. But doing the same tests over and over won't help us decide. We need different tests to see which theory is better. So, the more evidence we gather, the more confident we become in theory B. This process helps us understand and handle uncertainty and make better decisions based on what we observe. What Feynman is talking about here is gray thinking, the ability to put things on a gradient from probably true to probably false, and how we deal with that uncertainty. Number three, new evidence and new methods of experimentation should show the effect of getting stronger and stronger, not weaker. 
Knowledge is not static, and we need to be open to continually evaluating what we think we know. A professor in Virginia did experiments on mental telepathy, which is like mind reading. They used cards with different designs, and one person tried to guess the design while the other person thought about it. And at first, some people seemed to be very good at guessing the designs, even better than chance. But then other people pointed out problems with the experiments. So, the professor improved the techniques, and the results showed that the phenomenon of mind reading wasn't as strong as they thought. With better methods, the average number of correct guesses went from around 6.5 cards to about 5.1 cards. This meant that the phenomenon of mind reading wasn't as strong as they initially believed. As they improved their methods, the evidence for mind reading got weaker. In science, it's essential to be careful with experiments and make sure our methods are reliable. Sometimes, the more we learn and improve our techniques, the clearer the real results become. So, while the idea of mind reading sounds exciting, the experiments didn't provide strong evidence for its existence. That's why scientists continue to investigate and improve their methods to understand the truth better. In other words, we must refine our process for probing and experimenting if we're to get at the real truth. Because otherwise, we torture the world so that our results fit our expectations. If we carefully refine and retest and the effect gets weaker all the time, it's likely to not be true, or at least not to the magnitude we originally hoped for. Since 1844, yes, I said 1844, Hillsdale College has been providing an education in faith, freedom, and character because they believe that a virtuous citizen is the best defense for liberty. That's why they've taken some of the core classes they teach on campus and made them available for free online for anyone who wants to learn. That's right, for free. The U.S. Constitution, C.S. Lewis, the Book of Genesis, World War II, Plato and Aristotle, free market economics, if any of these sound interesting and maybe even a bit intimidating, then let Hillsdale College be your guide. Over 3 million people have taken a Hillsdale College online course. There are 39 free courses to choose from. They're easy to follow, and they're self-paced, so you could start whenever you want. In fact, you could start right now. It's everything you need all in one place with no long-term commitment. Learn when and where you want. Enroll now in Hillsdale's Not For Credit online courses program. It's free, it's fun, and it will change the way you understand our country, the world, and your place in it. Go right now to hillsdale.edu backslash motivated to enroll. There's no cost and it's easy to get started. That's hillsdale.edu backslash motivated to register. Number four, ask the right question. We should not ask, could this be the case? But is this actually 
the case. When it comes to ideas and possibilities, the main concern is not just what could happen, but what is likely to happen. For example, some people believe that if you swallow gum, it stays in your stomach for seven years. Well, at least that's what your parents probably told you as a child, or that the idea of cracking your knuckles will give you arthritis, or some people believe in superstitions. But the real question is whether it's probable or reasonable. We need to use our past experiences and knowledge to judge what is likely to be true, not just what is possible. The truth is, there are countless things that are possible, but most of them are not actually happening. Just because something is possible doesn't mean it's true. In physics, for example, only a few theories have been proven right throughout history. So, we need to be careful about what we believe until we have enough evidence to support it. We can't just accept every possibility as true without checking if it's likely or backed by real evidence. Number five, don't use the same data that gave you the clue to make the conclusion. There was a psychologist who did tests with rats. He wanted to show that rats always go to the right, but the results didn't support his idea. Instead, the rats went back and forth between right and left, and he got excited, so he asked a physicist to calculate the odds of this happening. The physicist said that it's not fair to calculate the odds after seeing the results, because it's like choosing a specific result that already happened. To test a hypothesis, we can't use the same data that gave us the idea in the first place. We need to do a new experiment to see if the pattern happens again. In this case, when the psychologist did another experiment, the rats didn't behave as he initially thought. So, it's essential to be careful and not draw conclusions from data that might have been influenced by our expectations or ideas. In other words, you cannot judge the probability of something happening after it's already happened. That's cherry picking. You have to run the experiment forward for it to mean anything. Number six, use proper statistical sampling. We must use proper statistical sampling to know whether or not we know what we're talking about. Now, this is a bit of a math-related problem, but I'll try to explain it simply. Imagine you want to know how many people are taller than six feet. Instead of measuring everyone on the planet, you can pick a group of people randomly. If you find that 40 out of 100 are taller than 6 feet, you can guess that around 40% of the whole population might be taller than 6 feet. But we need to be careful. The way that we pick our group matters. If we only pick professional basketball and volleyball players, we might not get accurate information. We need to pick the group in a way that has nothing to do with their height. To be fairly accurate, we usually need a lot of samples. For example, to be correct, within 1 or 2%, we might need to do the experiment 10,000 times. Yeah, it's not as easy as it sounds to get precise results in scientific studies. In other words, anecdotes are not data. 
contrary to the way in which the media and popular opinion present inferences and conclusions based on anecdotes as certainties, Feynman is very clear that we need to use statistically sound sampling to arrive at 99% certainty. And this would require a sample size of 10,000 units or 10,000 attempts to replicate the prediction. Number seven, realize that many errors occur from a lack of information. We are missing information that we don't know we're missing. This can be a very tough one to guard against because it's hard to know when we're missing information that would change our mind. But Feynman gives the simple case of astrology to prove the point here. There are some strange and unscientific beliefs in the world, like astrology. Astrologers say that certain days are better for doing certain things based on the position of the stars. For example, they claim that there are better days for going to the dentist or flying on an airplane, depending on when you were born. While it sounds interesting, there's no real evidence to support astrology. They haven't done proper tests to see if their claims are true. Scientists know a lot about stars, planets, and how the world works, and there's no scientific basis for astrology. To top it off, different astrologers also give different advice, which makes it even more unreliable. So, it's essential to be careful and not believe in something without solid evidence. Unless someone can show you real proof through experiments, it's best to be skeptical about such beliefs. A large part of wisdom is knowing what to ignore. A large part of expertise is knowing where to place our attention. If we can master the seven tricks Feynman created, it will help us avoid a lot of errors and avoid the noise bottleneck effect. Thanks for listening to The Motivated Mind with your host, Scott Lynch. I hope you enjoyed my deep dive into the noise bottleneck concept. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at MotivatedScott. Don't forget to join me every Monday and Thursday for new episodes. I love you all, and thanks so much for listening. Motivated Mind is a legacy division.